0: In the morning, when you need the news that matters most.
1: They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it.
0: You need the front page.
1: All these mother editorials.
0: On the press box.
1: They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass.
0: With Granny and Bischoff.
1: Rip them mother f-ers. Rip them cuckers, suckers like
2: the f***ing players.
3: the Jaguars Jaguars wires have released nah. Tim Tebow Tim Tebow played uh 16 snaps in the first preseason game didn't play any special team snaps and now the Jags have released him how long until Jared buys a Tim Tebow Jacksonville Jaguars jersey
4: they're not going to be cheap enough uh, anytime soon
2: okay okay so one of my favorite fun facts about tim tebow is when he was signed by the patriots his jerseys sold out before they assigned him a number
3: one of my friends bought me a new york mets jersey with tebow on the back
4: and you still call that person a friend huh yeah i do (laughs)
3: wow
4: um jared how many of those tebow jerseys ended up with 69 on the back
2: uh, I mean, all I know is that they basically, their return on investment on Tim Tebow was like threefold because of the amount of stuff they sold <laughs> and how little they actually wound up having to pay him.
4: I mean, I- really, that's that's what happened here, right? Like, Jags got to sell some jerseys. They got some training camp attention. Uh, Tebow got to keep his profile up a little bit. Urban didn't really hurt anything. And we, as the fans, all got the video of those two blown blocks which is just hilarious it's perfect
2: so it's a win 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 and Let- he, if he submits a one minute video we might have him <laughs> on Cold radio nation radio, on radio. radio, nation radio. <laughs> are,
3: are you at all disappointed because i'm a little disappointed we didn't get to see him in the regular season like because i very badly wanted to see urban meyer take trevor lawrence off the field for some goal line
4: package because tim tebow was going to come run the jump pass I honestly thought Tebow would be decent enough at tight end to stick on the roster. I really thought he was gonna make the roster. I th- and I thought someone who deserved to make it probably wouldn't, but in the end, I thought Tebow was a talented enough athlete to at least make the roster. And my God, did he look overwhelmed in those 16 snaps. Like Tim Tebow didn't belong at all. So yeah, I mean, in, in that way, we certainly lost. I don't care about your next question.
3: All right, here we go. An update. Well, not really an update, but a potential upcoming update on other NFL teams and whether or not they'll require fans to be vaccinated uh, from Ralph Vachachia. How do you pronounce his last name, Adam? Vacciano.
4: <laughs> Ralph
3: Vacciano. Uh Giants co-owner John Mara on whether the Giants will require fans to be vaccinated this season as a condition of attending games. Quote, as of right now, there's no plans to do that. But if you ask me that question in a week, it may be a different answer. It's a fluid situation. And I have to imagine that, like, that's probably going to be every NFL team this morning is, oh, the Raiders announced that last night. We don't have any plans at the moment, but we're going to start looking into this. That might be the best option that we need to take as a football team.
4: They're going to do what every one of the 31 teams believe is prudent, which is to lick their finger, put it up in the air, and see how the wind is blowing, because they're gonna give the Raiders like 24, 48 hours to twist out there in the wind by themselves and see just how bad it gets before they follow suit.
3: By the way, does licking your finger and putting it in the air actually help you feel the wind?
4: I don't know, but I always kind of think about it because because of, uh, in terms of my dog, because remember, you know how they have to wet their noses to pick up all the scents in the air? It's kind of the same thing, right? Oh. Like you have to be able to feel the wind. Uh, you wouldn't feel it properly without licking your finger. Hey, that's two
3: two different uh, senses, though, right? That smell and and touch. But okay, I all right, we'll go there. With that, we're just like dogs, but we have to lick our fingers instead of our nose.
4: Yeah, yeah, go with it. Don't think about it too much.
2: Next question.
3: The 76ers signed Joel Embiid to a four-year extension worth 196 million dollars. He's now under contract with Philadelphia until the 2026. 2027 season that extension is going to pay him 49 million dollars per season he still has two years left on his current deal so this is adding basically six years is what we're getting here with Embiid in Philadelphia um outside of Embiid though do you think the Sixers are actually going to be able to trade Ben Simmons this offseason and build a better team around Embiid
4: I really don't and I think we've reached the point of the offseason where there's not much motivation left for any team to make the trade everyone's done what they think they have to do to upgrade their teams in major ways at this point and cap space is largely spent. So I don't know how anyone's going to be able to fit Ben Simmons in under the cap at this point. I also don't know that the Sixers asks were ever of a level that anyone was going to seriously engage them. We talked about some of the trade offers here on the show and they were sky high in terms of what the Sixers were asking from other teams. So I think that they're going to be stuck trying to figure out a way to make Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons get along
3: have we gotten off-season videos of Ben Simmons shooting jumpers and making them? Because that seems to happen every no. year.
4: No, but did you know what we did have? We had a video just yesterday of Ben Simmons dribbling around in what looked like some sort of hype video, except <laughs> there, there was nothing to get hyped about, uh, <laughs> splitting a double team of, like, two college kids and going up for a dunk. Like... Cool. That's pretty much what we already knew.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, like, what he's good at, but not the reason that the Sixers would want to trade him or why they can't trade him is, oh, you can't knock down anything outside of five feet. Wow. Sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> the Mountain West released the conference schedule for basketball over the weekend. Uh, UNLV is going to open home game on January first against San Diego State. Uh, there is an unbalanced schedule again. They went back to 18 games, so UNLV does not go to Laramie, Wyoming. They also will not have a home game against Utah State. But what I do find interesting is because we didn't have, like, a any formal announcement about this, but last year, the Mountain West went to a 20-game conference schedule eh, due to COVID, due to non-conference schedules getting canceled or shuffled around or whatever it was, and it's something that the conference had talked about before And I was kind of under the assumption that, hey, they went to 20. They're just going to push that through and say, yep, we're staying at 20 because the majority of teams in this conference want there to be a 20-game schedule. But UNLV and San Diego State and New Mexico push back on that. They fight that because those are the teams that can actually schedule decently in the non-conference. I'm a little surprised that UNLV and San Diego State, I don't know if they won this or if the Mountain West just didn't pursue it, but that they went back to 18 conference games and didn't stick with the 20
4: look the mountain west has to make at some point some sort of sound decision when it comes to its chances to get teams into the tournament or at least to build up some net rating and this is the kind of choice that does you just said it san diego state and unlv can schedule they can get teams like michigan to come play against them or go play at their place uh wyoming can't do that san jose state can't do that their best chance of getting a win that makes some impression is to have more chances against other Mountain West teams as opposed to having to go play northern, western, southern state. So, you know, for the rest of those teams, um, sorry, go pound sand. This is the conference trying to do something smart for once to protect its interests.
3: Yeah. And the key there is UNLV has to actually be good. Like it's kind of wasted that one of the teams in this conference that can actually get a game against Michigan or UCLA is a team that hasn't been close to the NCAA tournament in years. Like it would be much more helpful for this conference if UNLV was even just primarily on the bubble every single year, but they can't exist in that realm either. So there's your conference schedule. Um, I don't know that it matters too much uh, for UNLV this year. We'll see how well they do. I don't know if they're gonna be top three or if they're gonna be bottom five. Happy to move on to the, to the next question here, Aaron. Bill Belichick has not told Cam Newton if he will start in week one. Cam Newton said, no, you know, he hasn't said that. So for you to just ask that question, you know, it is what it is. Every single day I'm coming out here with the anticipation to just get better. And that's the only thing I can do. So I can control that. Do you think Cam Newton start in week one?
4: I do think Cam Newton start in week one. I do think Cam Newton has every right to be annoyed at the question, and I think Bill Belichick is still doing the right thing because Cam Newton did not play well enough last year to deserve to be an unquestioned starter on any team in the league. Uh, He has a fantastic history as an MVP and as a difference maker and as a game changer with his legs, but the reality was out there last year. Couldn't throw, didn't have a lot of receivers to help him, but at the same time, they didn't draft Mac Jones at 15 because they thought Cam Newton was the answer.
3: Does Mac Jones play when Cam Newton gets hurt, or do you think Mac Jones like gets this job over a healthy Cam Newton at some point this season?
4: I have a feeling that the underperformance will be there for Cam Newton through a month, and that'll be all it takes to get Mac Jones into the game.
1: That's crafty wording right there. I
4: give you credit.
3: <laughs> the president of Rwanda called out Arsenal. I'm sorry, what now? What? Follow me here. Arsenal lost their first game of the season to Brentford, who are playing their first ever game in the Premier League. Uh, Rwanda, the country, is a shirt sponsor of Arsenal. They're the sleeve sponsor. It says, Visit Rwanda on Arsenal's sleeves. And their president, Paul Kagame, said, Arsenal and the fans don't deserve to, to get used to this. I say this as one of the big fans of Arsenal. The change has taken too long to come. It's been a struggle of about decades, ups and downs, more downs until this point. Can't we have a plan that really works? We just must not excuse or accept mediocrity. A team has to be built with purpose to win, win, win. I love the idea of a sponsor being like, why does this team suck that we're paying money to?
4: I mean, your team just got called out by Rwanda. It's
3: great because they do. They lost
2: to Brentford.
4: They all of this to be sounds like the next. Country. This entire thing sounds like the plot to the next episode of Ted Lasso.
2: <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! First of all, yes, it does. Second of all, does America have a tourism board? Can we like get sponsors in, like, hell the Australian A League, so that way Joe Biden can come out and just be like Western City Wanderers. What the hell are you doing?
4: Well, I mean, well, I hold on, hold on a second there, Jared. Do you think that we need to sponsor that for Joe Biden to make some sort of random <laughs> ass statement <laughs> like that?
2: But, oh, one time uh, in the '80s, I was playing soccer in Australia. They wanted me like, yeah, you're right, fair enough. But
3: I, country wise, don't forget about that. We, we have it here. We have the LBCBA. Like, oh. like we, like they sponsored the aviators, and we're like, well, name the ballpark, Las Vegas ballpark. That'll be great. Like, we can do that. Just LVCBA can spend its money on whatever random soccer team in whatever country we want to
4: spend it on. Can Can you imagine, Steve Hill? who is like the most <laughs> even keeled public representative in the world. When it comes to the statements that he makes, you imagine Steve Hill going out there and saying, Don Logan needs to get his s together or else we're pulling the name.
3: <laughs> exactly. It would be great. I like, I want to see that like when, whenever like the Raiders, if they miss the playoffs, give me like Win sponsoring the nightclub being like, you know, it's a shame that the only entertaining part is people that come to our nightclub at Allegiant Stadium. They don't get to see wins, but at least they get to get drunk close to the field.
2: They like, that's well, what, you know what to
4: see. You know what's coming this year. Uh, you're going to have the chairman of Pfizer and the chairman of Moderna <laughs> saying, you know what, I'm not sure we want our names associated with the Raiders if they're not winning. You,
2: you may not get to see many wins, but you at least can visit the win. Coming uh, up next, the
3: Big Ten, the Pac-12. And the ACC, well, they've been talking to each other about how the hell they're supposed to counter Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC.
4: In the beginning, you know, people were talking about, well, why is he on the team? You should have taken him. What happened to him? Why is he there? All, all the pundits, all these people who think they know something. Uh, and then, you know, we, we start out getting our kicked uh, after a couple practices. And, you know, there it comes again. These guys this and that and the other. Then comes COVID. And three guys walk off a plane the day before a game. And you guys went through all that stuff, and your families are sacrificing back there the same way. And that's why I'm so proud to be part of this. It's like the best feeling I've ever had in basketball.
2: And uh,
4: I would just like to say to all those people out there, how the f-
1: you like us now?
3: That was Greg Popovich's gold medal speech to uh, the U.S. team after they won the final against France. Uh, Interesting that he says that's the best feeling he's had in the sport of basketball, considering how much success he has had at the NBA level. But I think I don't remember the exact details, but he's basically every U.S. team that has, like, failed to win a gold over the last, like, three years or 30 years. He's, like, been involved somehow as an assistant coach or a head coach. Like, he has been the one person that, like, every time he's there is, oh, they lose. So, maybe it is the best feeling that he was able to coach them to a gold medal. And he did go to the Air Force, so I guess that could be part of it as well. I just, like, how do you end a speech? How the bleep do you like (laughs) us now, mother bleepers? (laughs) That's what you do when you win a gold medal. (laughs) He's 80 years old. (laughs) And he won a gold medal. It's great. So, In the world of college football, we had a report last week from The Athletic about the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC talking to each other, forming a scheduling alliance, possibly forming a scheduling alliance. Well, The Athletic had another story yesterday, sort of getting into more details of exactly why they would want to do this. And it comes down to television ratings and basically do your games get 4 million viewers or more. Uh, And in this story, they look back from 2015 to 2019. The SEC had 55 conference games, get 4 million viewers or more. The Big Ten had 49. The ACC had 13. The Big 12 had 12. And the Pac-12 had five. So there is a clear division or had been a clear division with the SEC and the Big Ten versus all the other power conference teams. And now with the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma, obviously that'll pretty much eliminate the big 12 from having any games with 4 million viewers. It'll add a bunch more games that the SEC could potentially get 4 million viewers. And it leaves the big 10 looking around potentially trying to play catch up here. What do you think of a scheduling Alliance that would just, you know, let us see USC or Oregon play Clemson or in the big 10 play Ohio state Michigan. Like, does that, Is that enough of an answer to, hey, the SEC is adding Oklahoma and Texas? I'm
4: not sure what enough would look like, but it's a start, and it's also a signal to the rest of the group of five to look at those Big 12 teams and say, you want someone? You better come get them now uh, because the other power conferences are going to pick up what's left of the Big 12, and the Big 12 is not going to be around very long. Uh, The other reason they're doing this is we're now getting into – mark emmert to uh, the president of the ncaa having this uh, this governance committee to talk about how are we going to restructure how the ncaa oversight works overall basically looking at the thing from top to bottom and say how much central control does the ncaa have versus how much is farmed out to the conferences to the power four slash five and by coming together, by these three conferences coming together, they're going to give themselves a pretty powerful voting block at the table to try to counter anything that would they perceive would be SEC-friendly or SEC-friendly to their exclusion.
3: Yeah, that was the other part of this, was it was not just a way to get more marquee games, but a way to have the ACC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12 vote together, like on what whatever issues would potentially come up and whatever college football goes in the future, whether it's college football, uh, whether it's a playoff expansion or, or just anything, basically don't let the SEC control everything. Have three people that are aligned, three conferences that are aligned. They can basically say, okay, we know the SEC is bigger and better than us, but if we stick together, we can still have some control, some say and not let them overrun this and just do whatever they want to at the end of the day we'll see how much that actually helps them because in the end, like I think a lot of this is going to come down to who has a, the best teams and the most interesting teams because who who's watching these games and the sec is in a great spot to dominate this sport. Just from a standpoint of who is watching these games, the big Ten's not in a bad spot, but they're certainly not on the level of the ACC or excuse me, the sec. The other part of this that I'm curious, if you're the big 10, do you think you'd be better off saying, Hey, we're clearly at the, or we were at the SEC's level. We should try to poach some good teams. Like, if you're the Big Ten, would they be better off trying to do what the SEC's doing rather than, you know, forming an alliance with conferences that are below them?
4: Let's be honest about who the Big Ten is right now. It's Ohio State, and he also rants. Uh, like, when it comes down to it, the Big Ten is no different than the ACC right now. The Big Ten has one dominant team that is going to be in the playoff discussion every year. And then a couple of programs that at least can make some noise. And then a bunch of eh, teams that are going to win six or seven games in decent size, but not really great TV markets. So I think the Big Ten just making a smart decision about where it is right now. And if you're the Pac-12, who are you lucky? Oh, if, are you lucky that they want to have you at the table and they need your votes? Because nobody cares about the Pac-12 anywhere close to the level they care about the Big Ten or the ACC when it comes to keeping them in TV discussion.
3: They had, again, to repeat those numbers that The Athletic looked up, games with 4 million viewers or more from 2015 to 2019. The SEC had 55. The Big Ten had 49. The Pac-12 had 5. Literally 10, t- 11 times less than what the SEC had.
4: Well, I mean, and part of that goes back to Larry Scott's sterling leadership of the (laughs) Pac-12 and just how great he was with media rights, but, uh, you know, and also time, of course, time of day when the Pac-12 plays its games, but five is still five over the course of that time. Uh, To
3: bring it local for a second, UNLV, they're in the group of five, they're in the Mountain West. If there is a scheduling alliance between the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12, You can see that affecting scheduling, right? You can see that if if teams become aware of conferences become, hey, we need to get marquee matchups so we're on TV more so TV networks want to pay us more. You can see them saying, no, don't play UNLV very much. Like, don't play those types of schools as much as you do now.
4: I mean, guarantee games are going to be guarantee games no matter what, though, right? Like, somebody still needs a win out there. And sorry, UNLV fans, that's what you looked at right now is as a win, a win that you pay money for. So I don't know if it's necessarily bad news for UNLV. I don't know that really UNLV is anywhere in the orbit of these discussions.
3: Right, but just from the UNLV perspective, like you say, buy games. So like they have Cal coming here, they have Iowa State coming. Here. Like they can get the mid-level teams from these conferences to come to Allegiant Stadium conceivably. But in the future, if the idea is, hey, we need to get on TV, don't play a home and home with UNLV. You need to play a home and home with a team from the Pac-12 or the Big Ten or whatever it is. You can play UNLV, but it's only a buy game. It's just, I guess, less opportunities for UNLV down the road.
4: Yeah, it's, you know what? It's less opportunities if UNLV is more like a four, five, six win program than if UNLV is a one, two, three win program. Because if UNLV <laughs> is a four or five, six win program, then you're gonna then if you're Cal and you have a scheduling alliance with the Big Ten, you're gonna say to yourself, Well, do we wanna go play against Purdue or do we want to play UNLV? Um, but for as long as UNLV is a bottom of the barrel program, it's gonna be looked at much the same as playing against an FCS team.
3: See, sometimes it's better to not be any good. Coming up next. Charles McDonald joins the show.
4: It is the case. And I think for us to focus on, you know, the day by day and just kind of everything that goes into it, the only thing that those guys care about right now is just being great at that position.
3: Joining us now, you can follow him on Twitter at 4 verts is Charles McDonald. Check out his work at 4 Win. Uh, Charles, so we had last night the Raiders announced that if you're going to attend a game at Allegiant Stadium, you will have to sh- uh, prove that you are fully vaccinated. How many other teams in the NFL do you think are going to follow this and uh, make their fans show full proof of vaccination to enter games?
1: Uh, I don't know if we're going to get all 32, but I do think we're going to see uh, a good amount just because like, I feel like with the NFL and it's not exclusive to this issue, but with a lot of issues, like these guys tend to be followers instead of leaders. So I think that they've just been waiting for, you know, one of these teams to uh, come out with the decision that they're going to acquire vaccinated fans. And I I'm, I'm not that surprised that the Raiders came out and did it first because uh, last year, Mark Davis was pretty outspoken early on about uh, the Raiders not having the fans that game. Then a bunch of teams followed to uh, afterwards. So, you know, I, I, I would expect some teams to follow. You know, I don't. I, I would be surprised if teams like the Cowboys or Jaguars would, uh would, you know, for stuff like that, just based on the stakes that they're in, is if they're trying to get people out to the stadium. But uh, I, I, do think it was a good first step, and we should see some teams follow. And uh, you know, kudos to the Raiders for once again being one of the more sensible teams in the league as it comes to COVID response.
4: What has been your favorite overreaction to preseason week one?
1: Uh, well, I've won for myself. And, uh, you know, I, I think maybe the, the Panthers should look at P.J. Walker for their starting quarterback job. Uh, <laughs> and, look, I I was sitting there watching the game, and I was kind of stunned that, that Sam Darnold didn't, <laughs> didn't play at all because usually, you know, if it's a team where, the, the, the starters established, like the Packers, Falcons, I don't know, Vikings. I'm just looking at the list of teams that played this past week. Sure, you don't need to see what those guys can do in a preseason game, but, but it's Sam Darnold. Uh, and it's not like he's been stellar up to this point in his career or really even like a, a true viable starting option up to this point in his career. So for him to just not have to play the first preseason game, you know, by all reports from people who have been there, he's he's looked like Sam Darnold in practice. So uh, I I don't really know what's going on there, but I do know that P.J. Walker put together some throws that, like, I haven't seen Sam Darnold do at the NFL level. And I'm not saying that P.J. Walker is a great quarterback talent or someone that's going to be, like, an ascending starter in this league. But, hey, like, after that game, he's – should have just as much claim to that starting job as Sam Darnold. So, you know, I, I guess that's my favorite preseason hot take, is that if the if the Panthers are truly operating under a true meritocracy, which does not exist in the NFL, then P.J. Walker should get a stand, chance to be the Panthers starting quarterback.
3: How are we supposed to get the Ryan Tannehill 2.0 storyline of once you leave Adam Gase, you're a great quarterback in the NFL if Sam Darnold doesn't start?
1: Well, you know, I think that with, with – well, first of all, that, that's very fair because, you know, I, I covered the Jets for <laughs> two seasons. Uh, I saw Adam Gates up close. That's, that's a fair take. But also, you know, Ryan was a lot better with Adams than Sam was. I know that they didn't have a lot of plays and maybe had a better uh, – a lot of big plays maybe had a better start in the season with Jarvis Landry than uh, the Jets had for Darnold, But, you know, a lot of these – You know, plays by Sam Darnold are self-inflicted. So, you know, I I think that Ryan Tannehill, while it's surprising uh, that he's been this good with the Titans, like he also had a higher baseline uh, with the Dolphins and Sam had with the Jets. And, you know, maybe Gates can get another chance with another team that he fools in 2021. And then, like in 2024, we'll have the true Tannehill 2.0. But I'm not quite sure if Darnold's that guy.
4: So we know that Trevor Lawrence has a job. We know that Zach Wilson has a job. Which of the rookie quarterbacks will be the next one to be starting?
1: Uh, I think it's Justin Fields. Uh, and I know, you know, people are going to say in that game he didn't do most of this stuff until after the uh, uh, the second team guys for the Dolphins start coming out. But, hey, I mean, I, I thought just off my eyes, like he looked a lot more dynamic than Andy Dalton, which we already knew. And I think when you look at some of the things that he can do in the play breaks down. The, the thing that strikes me about Justin Fields is, you know, he's not one of these guys that's looking to run all the time. Like he's kind of like this new breed of pocket pocket that has entered the league where they're, they're trying to win from the pocket first, but if things break down, like they have four, four speed to rely on it. And that's one of the things that's so jarring about his game to me. Like I, one of the plays where he had, where, you know, he's sitting in the pocket, doesn't see anything, invades the sack, and next thing you know, a lane opens up in his own defense, and he's just taken off downfield. And, you know, in the book of an eye, he's 20 yards down the field, and that's the kind of plays that I think the Bears need to lean on this year because uh, outside of Allen Robinson and maybe Darnell Mooney, I don't think that they have a very impressive receiving core. Uh, So you're going to need someone who can come in and make those, you know, second-effort plays, I guess. Uh, from the quarterback position. And, you know, Andy Dalton, I don't think that he's that guy. Uh, and I don't know if they're going to keep Justin Fields on the bench for, like, job security reasons. But just in terms of who gives the Bears the best chance to win, uh, I-, I would say that they're probably equal as throwers at this point in Justin Fields' career. And uh, obviously he's a much better runner. So, you know, I, I think I would go with Fields. With, with Mac Jones, I-, I just feel like the Patriots are kind of entrenched on Cam until – he really started screwing up and kind of the same thing with uh, the 49ers and Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, the, the Lance game, uh, obviously he had that big throw to start and another throw near the sideline that was pretty nice. But, you know, there were some inconsistencies in there where you kind of see why the 49ers are bringing them all a little bit slow. Obviously the, the talent's there, but maybe he needs a little bit more time adjusting to uh, the speed of NFL coverage and defenders. But, you know, I, I definitely thought that Justin Fields made the best uh, claim towards a rookie towards the starting job out of the guys who aren't starting yet.
3: Are you disappointed we will not get at least one more preseason game of Tim Tebow blocking highlights?
1: Uh, I'm a little bit disappointed because, I mean, the clips were funny, and, and I guess the funniest part about the clips was <laughs> <laughs> he, he only blocked on two plays, and those two plays, <laughs> you were like, whoa! <laughs> this, <laughs> this is not something that's going to work in the NFL, and I uh, Yeah, I guess it's kind of sad in the point that we're not going to miss those because I think that preseason bloopers are kind of one of the things that makes preseason such a delight for me. And I don't mean to say that in, like, a rude way, but, you know, like, I like football follies. Like, that's one of my favorite segments when I was growing up. They just dumb stuff happen on the field. Uh, It's definitely one of the things that attracts me to the game. So, you know, losing Tim Tebow, uh, that's going to suck. But I guess the good thing is that the Jaguars now have a chance to – Evaluate someone who has actually played tight end uh, and isn't a quarterback that was playing minor league baseball for the Mets and being an uh, analyst on uh, ESPN. So, this is a good chance for them to actually try and find a third string tight end and, and not just like a mean player.
4: Perfect. All right. Jason Witten coming back. <laughs> Got it. Um, <laughs> so, you mentioned something earlier uh, and I thought was interesting about Darnold and, and PJ Walker and the fact that Sam Darnold really hasn't earned the I'm not playing in game one uh, designation for his performance in New York. We kind of had similar questions in a different way about Henry Ruggs, about Brian Edwards, about some other guys who were clearly healthy for the Raiders who didn't even have pads on. Uh, for for the first game here, uh, what do you think about? It? I mean, do you think when we have young guys who haven't really had a chance to, to to prove themselves yet, that that they need this preseason action, or or do we overblow things like that?
1: You know, it's kind of interesting because I was really just talking about this with someone yesterday in the league, where it's like the whole idea of preseason has has almost changed because you know usually the older way of doing it is and this is different now because we have four games, uh, only three games instead of four, was, you know, you kind of ease your way into it. First game, couple drives. Uh, second game, maybe a quarter and a half. Third game, you're taking a dress rehearsal all the way through the third quarter, something like that. And then the fourth game, uh, it's just the guys who are trying to make the team play. And, the, you know, as these coaches who are getting these jobs, kind of get younger and younger, you're seeing a shift in attitude towards how preseason is handled in general. Like, when you look at what the Rams have done, what the Packers have done, uh, you know, other teams with younger head coaches, I guess even the Panthers too, if they're looking at it like this point, starters just don't play uh, in the preseason at all. And I think that that's maybe maybe it's like an injury risk reduction thing. Uh, maybe they're looking at it like if we already have these joint practices, we don't really need to see what you can do in a preseason game, and, and that's just another meaningless spot for uh, a guy to get hurt. But I, I don't think it's something that's just specific to the Raiders in this one instance. It just kind of seems like the league is changing how they view these preseason games. And you know, if I had to guess, like, as these joint practices become more and more frequent because, look, like if you're in a preseason game, and you have a chance to go like practice against the team you're going to play with for a few days. I don't really need to see what you can do in the game if you've already done gone through those things in practice. And I think that, you know, a game environment opens you up to more injury possibilities than a practice does. So, you know, I, I, just, I just kind of feel like across the league, they're putting a, a lower emphasis on guys who they plan on making a team playing in preseason because you're seeing what that looks like during the week. And I, I get it, it's kind of disappointing for fans and analysts who don't have access to uh, the practices and the films and the practices all week, but I, I just kind of feel like they're taking a more safe approach with these games.
3: All right, Charles, why do you like old NFL coach hats?
1: Oh, okay. well, it's just in general, I feel like 90s hat fashion was kind of better than what we're working with now. Uh, the logos were better, and I think that doesn't just go for NFL. it goes for NBA, too. Uh, when you look at old Charlotte Hornets logos, old Orlando Magic logos, uh, even like old Houston Rockets gear, but it just, it just looks cool, and I, I like the style where it's kind of like the trucker hat with the flat brim, but it's not like completely mesh on the back. Uh, they kind of had it going on, and I've been trying to find this Norm Van Brocklin uh, hat from like 1970-something uh, for a long time that I can't find, but... I just like the way that all the old gear looked, and you know, it, it just—it doesn't look the same. Like, you just have like these floppy little dad hats, instead of something that had like some real power, <laughs> some real balance, like like the hat that uh, I tweeted the other day. I forget the Jets coach that passed away, but you know, that was a, that was a solid hat. And now that I'm not covering the team, I might try to find one.
3: So hold on, can you can you tell me what is your internet search history when you're trying to find a hat that's no longer made from like the '70s or '80s?
1: Oh. uh <laughs> Well, yesterday when I was looking for it, I'll, I'll, I remember that the first thing that I saw—I remember from the Norm Van Brocklin picture—was that he was smoking a cigarette. But I couldn't remember Norm Van Brocklin's name, so I typed in like Falcon coach smoking cigarette, uh, <laughs> Falcon <laughs> coach 1970s cigarette. Then I found Norm Van Brocklin, so I was like Norm Van Brocklin cigarette hat coach. <laughs> so I found that picture on the internet, and then I went to eBay, had the Norm Van Brocklin hat, but I couldn't find it. So. Yeah. Now you see the poison ways in which my brain decides to fashion things.
4: Wait wait a second. You live in Brooklyn, right? Oh uh, Yeah, I do. So you should be able to go down to any random coffee shop, check all the baristas. Someone's going to be wearing it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, there actually is a 99-cent store uh, right next to my apartment. I mean, Maybe I'll take a gander over there and see what they got over there. Cause they've, they've actually got some pretty cool antique stuff.
3: Well, he is Charles McDonald. Again, follow him on Twitter at for verts and check him out at For the Win. Charles, we appreciate it.
1: All right, talk to you guys next week.
3: Oh, Adam, do you have any old hats from the '70s or '80s?
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, not that I've acquired recently. Ones that I've that I've hung on to uh, for quite a long time. Uh, you know, the, the the sweat stains are real, but you know, so is the nostalgia.
3: What is the hat style better from the '80s than it is now, or the '90s?
4: what is better is the hat like, style. What,
3: like what Charles was saying he thinks that just the style of hat was better in the 80s and 90s than it is now
4: oh yeah he's basically saying like a hat with some structure yeah. right like yeah. a hat that actually has a shape to it as opposed to you know a, a dad hat that uh, has the worst of all of them the ones with the high crown where like the back of the hat basically doesn't even come down to the base of your skull like it looks <laughs> like you just put on like a little you know propeller hat with the <laughs> with the you know hot dog on a stick look
2: the, my favorite thing is going through old baseball cards and the amount of pitchers who looked like they took a fresh hat out of the like out of the box, out of the wrapper, and then they gently set it just barely on their head, so it looks like they are six foot ten. <laughs> Coming up next, Luke Perkdandy from PropSwap.com.
0: We're checking in on the latest news from PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds.
3: Joining us now from PropSwap is Luke Kirk-Dandy. Luke, I'm curious, are there any, like, rookie quarterback prop bets that you guys have on PropSwap? I'm curious how popular those are and if, if anything changed over the after the first uh, week of preseason games.
0: Yeah, a few things. Um, yes, uh, Justin Fields to an MVP. That ticked down <laughs> from now, you know, people are clearly making this with a prop swap strategy. Um, you know, the, the idea to me seems like, okay, he comes in in week two or week three. is not, you know, they already went from 301 to one after last week. So, you know, pretty drastic shift from a preseason game where, you know, only played for a half. Um, but the odds go in 300-1, 200 this week, and then say he comes in in week three, has a good seven, eight-week stretch, like, that becomes an interesting ticket. You know, people forget Kyler Murray last year. Kyler Murray was in week four, I mean, he was the front runner to win MVP. So, like, young quarterbacks can do it. I'm not saying these guys are going to win, but with a prop off perspective, you get 300 to one last week. Now he's 200 to one flip it in week four and you're on your way.
3: Has there been anything else NFL related or is it mostly kind of calm? Yeah. just Because it's the first yeah, week. I of the say,
0: NFL. We, we, someone got a, so the, the Las Vegas Raiders win total this year is three and a half, which is a whole separate topic. That, uh <laughs> clearly the, you know, on a, on a 17 game. Season this year, the win total, the expected wins is three and a half. Um, So that's crazy in itself. But some guy got 500 to one that the Raiders will win one game. Wait, exactly one game? (laughs) Exactly one game. So they'd go one in 16. But again, like, we all agree that the, the win total is three and a half, which like every book in America has them at three and a half. So that's, that's consensus. So then when two and a half games less than that, like that's not crazy, you know, and to, to get a 500 to one price on that, I mean that, that should be like a hundred to one or like 80 to one. If, if we agree that three and a half is the right number, uh,
3: I did want to ask you about baseball last week we talked about the NL MVP uh, and Bryce Harper and the Phillies kind of coming out of nowhere. Has that market like normalized now that Fernando Tatis is back and hit two home runs in his first game back?
0: Yeah, seriously. Um, yes, uh, Tatis is back in the driver's seat. I believe he's like minus three hundred. Bryce is still pushing him. I mean, again, like Bryce two weeks ago was sixty to one, so now he's three to one. So you know, yes, Tatis Jr. is back in the driver's seat more so than uh, you know. It looked like Bryce was going to win this thing for a short amount of time, um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's pushing him. So that's obviously good for. Gamblers is like you want competition. You don't want someone to just run away with it. Um, so yeah, Bryce is pushing, him. and then also on the Phillies, like we talked about, Zach Wheeler is in the driver's seat to win NL Cy Young. He is plus one hundred and eighty right now as the leader. Uh, second place is Walker Buehler of the Dodgers at plus three hundred. Corbin Burn plus three hundred and fifty. Um, so a couple Phillies uh, pushing it here.
3: Well, he is Luke Dandy from Prop Swap. Luke, as always, we appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. So there
0: is Luke Bergdandy.
3: All right, Jared, what do you what do you got for us? You got I well, gave wait. you the shortest segment yes, of the entire, entire show.
2: show. I Okay, well, I just <laughs> wanted to talk and here's the problem. I also gotta make sure that this plays on time, which is there. Okay. Basically, Mike Tyson's son came out and said that he wanted to fight one of the Pauls. I don't know which one. No. Because, no. Oh God, not the Pauls. Okay. Unless it's it's Chris Paul. I actually would watch that. Actually, I'd watch him fight Jake from State Farm. Um, But Mike Tyson's response was, man, just go get a job. Like, what are you doing? Stop. Just go to the Wendy's. Get a job. Do we know how old his son is? No, I have no idea. I just think it's hilarious that your dad's response is like basically... Come on. Stop.
3: So Mike Tyson's son, who's apparently not any good at the sport of boxing, and one of the Pauls. What is it, Logan or Jake? Yeah, I'll watch the clips on Twitter. That'll be fun.